Section 207 of Childhood's Favourites and Fairy Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joseph Finkberg. Childhood's Favourites and Fairy Stories by Various Authors. Section 207. The Birthday Honours of the Fairy Queen by Hapgood Moore. Once upon a time there lived in Green Erin a little girl by the name of Nora. Her home was a small thatched cottage of stone beside the brae at the foot of a mountain, in the midst of a woodland so deep that in the summer time, when the trees were full, the sun got its rays inside but a few hours of the day and you could see of the stardust that covers the fields of the sky no piece larger than the palm of your hand. It was a famous meeting-place for the fairies, this haunt at the foot of the mountain by the stream, for the little folk from the heather above used nightly to foregather in the meadow with the little folk from the woodlands below, and there they danced the long night through among the shamrocks. But although Nora had heard about the fairies from her grandmother, who sat all day tending the peat-fire, and something more about them from her mother, when of an evening after supper she had time to speak to Nora of herself when she was a girl, yet Nora had never in all her life set eyes upon one of these feasters of the forest. For the fairies, mind you, come only to two kinds of folk, to those who believe in them and to those who need them. Now Nora believed in the fairies all right, all right, but she had never been in need of them until now, at this time that I'm telling you of. Now, this same Nora was one of these lasses that is a wee bit gloomery, and you don't know what this same gloomery is? Well, she was at times hindered by a rainy morning disposition, so it was plain enough to the fairies that she was in some need of them. One day, Nora went into the deep of the wildwood, a few steps below her mother's cottage, to a trysting place, where she often resorted when she had the time from her daily duties. She had been unusually heckled that morning, as all of us are at times, by being obliged to do many things for which she had little liking. The spot was a favourite one of Nora's. There was a shelter of rocks above, almost like a cave or roof, and below, there was a tiny stream of water that ran out of a spring in the back of the hill and sang its way down the slopes to the brae below. In this pool, Nora nearly always laid some field flowers, because they kept fresher there than anywhere else. From the low seat that Nora had made out of a stone in the back of a shelter, she looked out into a sunny place in the woods, around which stood, as if they were pillars of a woodland palace, six grey beaches. Now, upon this sunny afternoon that I'm speaking of, hardly had Nora reclined upon a bench, feeling a bit drowsy, no doubt, with the heat, yet not quite sleepy, you know, listening to a robin singing with the voice of Eden, when she heard a light tapping on the wall of the largest beach, the one that was nearest to the place where she was lying. At first, when she heard this sound, she thought that it was the robin redbreast that she had noticed hopping up and down in the open place in the sunlight, and yet she knew well 
that robins do not drum upon the bark of trees like woodpeckers. So she jumped lightly up and ran to the tree, and at once she was aware that the tapping was from inside the tree, and between the taps that were no louder than those of a branch against a window-pane, she distinctly heard a very tiny voice. How tiny was the voice, Michael Arun? You're asking me how tiny the voice was. Let me see if I can tell you. You've heard the sound of the rivulet when it falls upon the mossy stones in the pasture by the barway. Well, it was about as loud as the echo of that if you should walk thirty paces away and then listen. So Nora had to put her ear up close against the breast of the beech tree, and even then the voice sounded no louder than the sound of a beech leaf when it falls from a branch into the moss bed. But she could hear what the voice was saying, and it was these words, Nora, my darling, turn the key and let me out. Nora looked around in amazement, but sure enough, there on the breast of the beach, about the height of her heart, was a small key of the colour of the bark that she had never noticed before, even though she had hugged that beech tree every morning of her life. So Nora turned the key at once and out stepped a fairy, Michael. Yeah, better than a fairy, a dryad. That is a fairy of the tree, for a fairy of a tree is as much higher in rank than a fairy of the meadow as a duchess is than a goose girl. She was about the size of the robin redbreast and was dressed all in green, except a lovely cloak of red that when it was folded about her made her look very much indeed like the redbreast himself, and she was no bit bigger than the robin either. Nora Mavurnain, said the dryad, I have been noticing that you seem a bit sad-hearted of late, and for no reason either that anybody knows. So if you don't mind, I will take you with me for a walk this afternoon through Fairyland, and we will see if we cannot do something to restore your good spirits again. At these words Nora danced for joy, and you would never have been able to guess that she had ever known a downhearted moment. So the dryad clapped her tiny hands three times, and out of the open door in the beech tree stepped a little gnome who came and bowed low before them, holding in his hands a silver salver on which lay a little pellet. How little was the pellet, uncle? Well, what would you say if I told you that it was as small as a hummingbird's egg? Oh, you think it was smaller than that? Well, how about the seed of a coriander? No? Ah, then I will tell you the truth. It was as small as the gnat that gets into your eye, that feels as big as a rat. So Nora took the pellet from the platter and thanked the gnome kindly, and she ate it down. And no sooner had she swallowed it than she was no bigger than the dryad herself. So the dryad took her by the hand, and they walked gaily into the beech tree door, and the door shut behind them. They went down and down a lot of winding stairs that were lighted only by small windows in the bark of the tree that Nora had never noticed before and could never find afterward. It was very cool and pleasant, for they could hear the sap 
goes singing on its way from the roots up to the branches and leaves, and when a summer shower went by, they could hear the raindrops as they went singing down the trunk outside to the roots. After they had reached the foot of the stairs, they walked for a long way through a cool corridor. It was not quite dark, for little people stood at every turn who seemed to be doing what fireflies do on summer nights in the grass, and each one whistling to himself as he held his softly shaded lantern aloft. Down the side passages Nora could see thousands of tiny miners at work, and what do you think they are doing? Digging for gold and diamonds. They were tending the woodland plants that hang their golden blossoms in the pathways, and carrying up the dewdrops that sparkle like diamonds from their leaves in the daybreak. And it was pleasant to see them work, for they were all singing. By and by, Nora and the Dryad came to a place where there was a brighter light ahead, and as they drew nearer, Nora could see that they had come to the bank of the pond that is below Nora's cottage, only that they were under the surface, looking up through a light so soft that it cast no shadows. And now the Dryad took Nora's hand, and she found herself in a little boat, no bigger than a leaf, sailing across the pond, but still beneath its surface. And here she saw on every hand, working amid the mire and the murk, such jolly little divers, who were feeding the fish and tending the pond lily roots, and like all the others, singing at their tasks. Now you will know, of course, that they were on their way to the home of the fairy queen, and it was but a short while before they were there. I need not tell you, children, how lovely is her palace, with its golden floor and silver walls, and its hangings of the colours of the rainbow. Nor need I say how beautiful is her majesty herself, with wings like the most splendid butterfly, and a gown like the morning, and a face like the sunshine. It seems that Nora had come upon the Queen's birthday, and she was just giving the birthday honours. So Nora and the Dryad stood in the background and watched the scene. Around the throne stood gallant fairy gentlemen, clad like beetles and dragonflies for splendour, and ladies whose long gowns hung like the light on the waterfall of Loughmarine. But to the amazement of Nora, those who came forward to receive the honours were for the most part dressed like workmen, and many of them were bent with hard labour. As each advanced and made obeisance, the royal herald read the exploit for which the rank of knighthood was about to be conferred. For one he read, To our faithful servant who covered the lilies of Moira from the attack of the Frost King, and to another, To the gallant yeoman who watered the grain field of Kilvelin, and to still another, to him who dug the trench by the roadside, and kept safe the highway to Throstlewaite Fair. And as each came forward, the trumpets pealed in triumph, and after a gold star had been pinned upon the new knight's breast, the gentlemen and ladies of the court greeted them with hearty reverence, and Nora looked in the smiling face of the dryad, but said nothing. Then Nora herself, in a breathless moment of fear, was presented to the Queen. 
and the queen kissed her daintily just above her lips on both sides and suddenly nora found herself back on her stony bench by the spring with the branches of the beech tree waving silently before her oh motherine and grandmotherkin she cried as soon as she got home and she ran home all the way let me tell you about the wonderful visit i've been making out in the wildwood and after she had told her story motherine said i think nora has been dreaming but grandmotherkin said no daughter i think our little akushla has had her eyes opened the day then nora in triumph showed the two dimples where the fairy queen had kissed her and do you know my darlings i cannot but think that she told the truth after all for ever after if one kissed nora upon these two dimples or even touched them or even looked at them she would break into the sweetest smile and she never was gloomering or lowering any more end of section 207 end of childhood's favorites and fairy stories by various authors